have a saying where we say, He is risen, and then you say, He is risen indeed, because that's why we're here. Let's try it. He is risen. He is risen indeed. All right, welcome everyone. My name is Ben. Hey, do you like surprises? Anybody like surprises? Yeah, kind of. Some of you are like, why is he saying that? I'm afraid, because you don't like surprises. You're afraid to raise your hand even. I like surprises generally, as long as I'm in control, which <laughs> kind of defeats the purpose of a surprise, doesn't it? Surprises can be fun. Uh, I love April Fool's Day. It's like my favorite holiday of the whole year. And it's coming up. I could tell you about some of the things that have happened over the years. Like the time that, the time that uh, when Carla and I were dating, uh, I threw a series of untruths, arranged for her to get dropped off at a restaurant downtown St. Paul. And she thought she was going to dinner with someone else. And she went in, and it was me. Surprise! Isn't that fun? See, and then when we went up to this fancy restaurant, the waitress brought this silver platter with a little cover on it, just like in the movies. And there was a little box with a note, and inside the box was a ring, and the note had three boxes. It said, um, will you marry me? Yes, no, maybe. Check one. And she looked one, took one look at the ring and one look at me, and she said, is it real? So that's how our marriage got started 30 years ago on April 1st, on April Fool's Day. I don't want to leave you out. I, I want to make sure you know uh, what you can do because there are some fun things that could happen around your house. So I'm here to help. Okay, so here's a couple ideas for you on April 1st if you don't have anything up your sleeve yet, right? Okay, so you could always do the Chewbacca Roar Contest prank. Do you know this one? You basically just make a bunch of posters that say there's a reward for the best Chewbacca Roar imitation and invite people to leave a voicemail where they audition for it. And then you put your friend's phone number on it and, like, put them all over everywhere. And uh, they'll come back and have 47 messages of nothing but or whatever that sound is. That's fun. Now, if you need something else that's quicker like this, you can always do this one. This is just the Easter egg chocolate with mustard in the middle thing. They pop it in their mouth. Huh? How good is that? A little bit of a what? Surprise, right? That's what a surprise does. It gets your attention. It forces you to kind of notice. Because the more predictable something is, the less we notice it. It's like, oh, there's nothing interesting there. There's no questions I need to ask about that. But if it's a surprise, well, then we pay attention to it. This is why Geico commercials work, right? Because there's something about it that makes you like double take, like the guy who's playing the triangle in the orchestra. But then all of a sudden he goes into like a rock guitar solo with a triangle. It's like it makes you pay attention. Now, you may have seen that one. You probably didn't see this one. Go ahead and watch the screen. Ben making a cat sweater. Oopsie, Surprising. Done. You're going to look so cute in this. Maybe we want to come out and try on your sweater. What's not surprising is what God wants to do because Jesus is alive. It's time to surprise the world. All right, so I have stooped to a new low to make a point. All right? If you don't know me, I don't love cats. So that's surprising. Well, here's the thing, though. If we... If we had seen that, if you've seen that a thousand times, you watched it a thousand times, it's not surprising anymore, right? If someone puts mustard in the eggs every year, it doesn't shock at all. And so here's the thing. Here we are on Easter. And it's time for us to be surprised by who Jesus is and what he's done. Instead of thinking we know it all, I wonder if anyone's ready to be surprised by the living Jesus today. Because everything about 
him is surprising. That God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Surprising. What's not surprising is that we sometimes fail to be shocked by that. That the eternal creator, invisible, almighty, immoral, loving God penetrated space and time and came among us in the person of the living Christ is amazing. And that Jesus lived a surprising life. Think about it. Everything about Jesus is surprising. The way, you know, he came as this Messiah, and they thought a Messiah would come, you know, on a horse with a, with a rifle over his shoulder and take over, and, you know, and instead he came as a helpless baby in the middle of the night, in the middle of nowhere, with basically homeless parents. Who, you know, the creator of the universe knocking on doors in the middle of the night trying to find a place to get born? That's surprising. <laughs> And then remember, remember Herod, the, the king who wanted to kill all the babies because he was threatened by Jesus? And, and so all of a sudden, there's a slaughter of the innocents going on in Mary and their little baby Joseph, Jesus. Mary and Joseph, they're running for their lives, seeking asylum. God is a refugee in the world that he came to save. That's surprising. And everything about Jesus' life, his teaching, everything he said was like off the chain. Like, what? Nobody says that. Like someone punches you in the jaw. You're like, oh, you want it? And he's just like, no, no, turn the other cheek. What? Surprising. When someone hurts you, and you really want to remember it and get back at them and get some revenge, Jesus said, let it go. Forgive. I've forgiven you. Bless those who persecute you. Pray even for your enemies. And they said, don't hang out with those people, those prostitutes and tax collectors. They'll rub off on you, and it won't make God happy. And he's like, no, it's the other way around. And he hung out with those people all the time. And he rubbed off on them and said that's what God wanted. Surprising. And they said, you better stop doing all that stuff and breaking the religious laws or they'll kill you, and then the plan won't work. And Jesus said, surprise, that is the plan. And they watched on a Friday when he walked through the streets with that cross on his back as they nailed him there in place and hoisted him in the sun, they watched on Friday when God died. Surprising. Jesus lived a surprising life, but he died a surprising death, didn't he? Just as soon as it had kind of happened and they pinned their hopes on him, he was gone. It was over. And it looked like Satan had gotten the last laugh. Like the whole thing was a big April Fool's joke and the joke's on us. On all of us, because we had believed it. How can he save anyone if he can't save himself? And suddenly, this beautiful man was gone. The lungs that had breathed blessing and life on so many now were collapsed from asphyxiation. The eyes that saw with mercy and compassion were shut. The ears that heard us cry for help and we believed someone cared were deaf and dead now. The hands that could heal and rescue were pinned in place. The light of the world had gone dark in the shadow of death. Surprising. The surprising life of Jesus suddenly eclipsed by the surprising death of Jesus. And if he's dead, then we're all dead. Because then the best we can hope for is get a few good moments in the life that you have and then you rot in the grave. And so you can see that kind of perspective leaking out of people sometimes. You can see it in 
these two friends that the Bible tells about who were so surprised with disappointment about what happened on Friday that they just had to get out of town. They wanted it to be true. They'd pinned their hopes on Jesus. They had wanted what we all want, to have purpose in life, to have peace even in pain, to have joy even if your circumstances weren't, weren't good. And they found it all in Jesus. And then all of a sudden, bam, he's gone. And so they go for a walk. They just got to get it out of their heads. They're so discouraged. I just believe there's probably some people who are in the same boat this Easter. Discouraged. Some of us are discouraged today. We're just deflated about something. Life hasn't gone well. And so we feel like these guys, like we want to walk away, maybe even walk away from God. Because you just can't, after what's happened, you can't believe like you used to or like other people seem to. And so we walk away. Or maybe you're disgusted with the church, whatever. There's a lot of reasons we can be on our own road to Emmaus and get stuck in a Friday world with a Jesus who's as good as dead. Can I remind us that when we meet these guys that we're about to meet, it's already Sunday. Jesus is alive again. It's just that they don't know it. They don't live like it. They refuse to be surprised. And so over in your Bible, Luke chapter 24, it says they're going to a little village called Emmaus. It's seven miles. That's a long walk. Some of you would need to stop for a break on the way. These guys are walking seven miles. Here's what it says, Luke chapter 24, verse 13. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened, the crucifixion, the death, the burial, the whole deal. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But... They were kept from recognizing him. So Jesus knew the resurrection body or their frame of mind, whatever. Jesus is incognito. It's like I think maybe the reason was, and their downcast point of view is, like Jesus was the last person they expected to meet. And I wonder if that's also true of some of us. Yeah, we get all dressed up and we go to church on Easter, but I wonder if it's true for any of us that the living very much with us, Jesus is like the last person you'd expect to have an encounter with today. That's where these guys were. Verse 17, Jesus asked them, hey, what are you guys discussing as, as you walk together along? In other words, the translation from Greek would basically be, hey, what's up, fellas? What's going on? And their response tells you how much they're struggling. Look at verse 17. They just stopped. They stood still, and their faces are downcast because in their minds, Jesus isn't a factor in their lives anymore. He's as good as dead. They're still on Friday, even though it's Sunday. What you talking about, guys? In verse 18, they're kind of disgusted with the question. They're kind of peeved with Jesus. They say, and one of them named Cleopas asks, are you the only guy visiting Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened here in the last days? What, have you been in some kind of cave? Jesus is probably like, yeah, actually I have. <laughs> Verse 19, he tries to tease it out of him. Maybe he's playing with them a little bit. He wants to hear what they're going to say. He says, no, play tell what things? And that's when they just launch. Jesus, the Jesus of Nazareth. And they tell him all about how he was our prophet. He was from God. He, he, he was powerful in what he said and what he did. He did all this stuff. But then the chief priests, and they tell the whole story. And then it comes down here how the chief priests had sentenced him to death. And then it says, but we had hoped. We had hoped that he was the one. He was going to save us. He was going to love us. We had hoped. Jesus could forgive people, and we had hoped he could forgive us. Jesus loved everyone. We'd hoped he'd be around to love me too. 
Jesus rescued people. We had hoped he would rescue us. We had hoped our powerful words of despair and discouragement. It's past tense. It's faith that, faith that believes when the stone rolled in place, it just crushed our hope and our belief. Maybe some of us can relate to that too. We had hoped our marriage would make it. We had hoped that my kids would take a different path. We had hoped the money would come in. We had hoped the health would improve. We had hoped I'd find my soulmate. There's so many things in life that make us long for things that don't happen, and we find ourselves on that road to Emmaus with a past tense hope. And Jesus, in that kind of frame of mind, often isn't a factor. He's as good as dead. What I want to remind us of is what I suspect you already know, but just might need to be surprised by again, and that is that Jesus... Jesus is someone who can surprise you today if you remember and realize and welcome the fact that, well, he's alive. And he's walking with you on the road of discouragement or wherever you may be today. I love what A.W. Tozer says about this, Christian writer. He says, it is the devil's business to keep Christians mourning and weeping with pity beside the cross. Instead of demonstrating that Jesus Christ is risen, indeed, my friends, we need to recognize that. I hope that's why you're here, that, that, to know that Jesus is actually here, like in your life, like walking on the road with you of your journey in life, even in your frustration and even in your problems, even in your sin. He's alive. I talked with him this morning. I can confirm this for you. He didn't stay dead. And that's the, the central miracle. The whole Easter thing is a big April Fool's prank. It's a big joke. And guess who gets the last laugh? Jesus does. Because when things looked really bad, God entered that tomb and the heart that was dead began to beat again. Jesus sat up on cue. He folded his grave clothes knowing he wouldn't need them anymore. And God kicked a big old hole in the doorway of death. And Jesus walked through like a boss. And when he saw Mary and some of the others, I think he said, Surprise! I'm back, and maybe he needs to say that to you today. Like, guess what? Jesus is actually alive. Like, he's real. Like, surprise. Instead of living our lives on the road to Emmaus as if he's as good as dead, what if we welcomed the living very much? The biggest surprise is not the way Jesus lived his life. It's not the way Jesus died his death. The biggest surprise of all for some is that Jesus is alive, and you got to deal with that. And you got to welcome him in. He's real. He's alive. He's here. He's with us. And I wonder if he wants to say to us, what he said to those guys, like in verse 25, when Jesus is why, they still don't know who he is. He just looks at them and he says, why are you so thick-headed? I bet some of us are a little thick-headed on this because we're so convinced that our frame of mind is right. Why are you so slow to trust? Why can't you simply believe? And when you do, that changes everything. It changes everything. It changes things so like when you're hanging by a thread in life, when you're on the discouragement road, you can know for sure that Jesus is right there with you and it looks like everything's falling apart. Jesus is actually holding things together. Because if he can turn Good Friday around, if God can do that, there isn't any situation you're going to face that he can't turn around. There isn't any bad circumstances where joy and peace can't persist. 
And it all began for these guys when they're walking. Here's here's where the change happens. Listen now, listen. Where the change happens, the Bible says that they invited Jesus to sit down and eat with them. They get to Emmaus, this stranger. They say, I like this guy. Something about this guy. Would you like to stay and eat dinner with us? And then when they invite him in, their eyes are open, the scriptures say, and their hearts begin to burn within them. And that's the same exact way that God works today. You have to invite him. You have to invite him. Jesus doesn't force himself on anybody. That's why we don't ram Jesus down anyone's throat here at Mountain, because that's not the way Jesus rolls. But if you invite him into your mind, your brain space, your heart, into your life, you invite Jesus in, he will always come in. And that's when your eyes will be open to all kinds of new things about the fact that he's alive and the difference he makes in life, and your heart can burn too in a good way. That's what happened for these guys. It's what needs to happen for us. And listen, if that happens, if you finally let Jesus surprise you, there's one more important idea that I want to share with you today. Because as we do that, as we, as we meet Jesus and he surprises you with his love and his power and his grace, well then, that's not just for your benefit. He's going to ask you to do that to share it. With others. That's exactly what happens with these guys. Like, look at the story. If you go back to verse 33 and 34, when they figure out it's Jesus, he's alive. It's my holy cow, it's him. You know what they do? The first thing, they got up and they're like, great, see you, Jesus. And they return at once seven miles back to Jerusalem so where they can find the rest of the guys and tell them it's, a, it's real. He's alive. This is a game changer because guess what? Hope is now alive beyond the grave. Peace, even in pain, is possible. You know, joy, even in cruddy circumstances, is possible. We have power even over death. Man, all All of this is so good, it's got to be spread, it's got to be shared. It's why we call Unleash Love the big thing around mountain, because if Jesus is back alive, guess what? Then God is calling his people to live surprising lives. He's calling you to live the same kind of life he lived. Because if he's alive, you don't do that alone. Get this, if Jesus is actually alive, what he promises in Scripture is that he doesn't just sort of say, great, I'm alive, and then check out and go to heaven and watch things. He's in you. He's with, I'm talking to people now who've invited Jesus in. I'm talking to the household of faith. I'm talking to people who want to say I'm a follower of Jesus. If that's true of you, that means that to whatever degree you open your heart, God comes inside. He's for us and he sends us to live the same kind of surprising lives. Look at Matthew 28. What does Jesus say? Some of his last words. He says, I got something for you to do. I'm leaving, but you need to go. And he says, I am with you. He's alive and with us. John 14, he says, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. Before he ever died, he said these words. I'm going to come back to you, and I'll live with you. You'll also live. You are in me, and I am what? In you. That's what Paul means in Galatians 2, verse 20. He says, Christ lives in me. And that is true of every follower of Christ. And that's why Jesus can say, like in Matthew 5, you're the light of the world. You can go live a surprising, bright life that everyone will look at and notice, and and, and it'll draw attention to the Father in heaven. So, friends, listen. How do you live a surprising life? You do what Jesus did. Every day, you you look for opportunities that will be surprising, that'll turn heads, that'll cause people to ask questions. 
in everyday life. Look at Colossians. Here's how it describes it. Chapter 4, verse 5. It says this. you got to live wisely. Are you living wisely among those who are not believers? So that you make the most of every opportunity. God's going to give you these opportunities to live for him, to stand out for him, to help others. Are you wisely seizing those opportunities? How? Well, through conversations. Let your conversation be full of grace. So if you fill your conversation up with grace, there's no room for negativity and garbage and all the other stuff. And that's attractive. That's how you do it. To make people say, wow, there's something interesting about you. So that they'll want to ask questions. That's what 1 Peter 3 is saying. Always be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks you to give reason for the hope that you have within you. But do it in gentleness and respect because you've got to keep your conscience clear. And then if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. If you belong to Christ, then you're saying he's alive and he's in you and with you and for you. And you are sent to live a surprising life to continue the same mission Jesus came. And that is to draw all people to God. How do you do that? How do you live that life? What do you do to be on mission for God? Well, you don't have to go to a street corner with a bullhorn. You don't have to run door to door and ram tracks in people's faces or under the doors. You don't have to stand up and preach like I am. What you do need to do is live like these scriptures are saying. Live a lifestyle that looks enough like Jesus that somebody might notice and think, wow, that's different because Jesus lived a surprising life. And that's what we're called to do. Christians are are meant to live lives that make other people ask questions. Always be ready to give an answer. Why would you need to do that if you weren't really living in a way that anyone's going to ask questions about? We got to surprise the world. Do something that will cause someone to turn their head. Are you living a questionable life? Is there anything that would make anything about your life at all in Christ? If you're a Christian, is there anything about your life that would cause someone to be curious in the least? Like, what if we just actually forgave people the way Jesus said? I think that would stand out. Or my friend, my friend who's so generous, when he goes to his financial planner and he sees how much he's giving away to God's work, he's like, are you sure? He's got some questions coming because of that. People who are so free with their love and their time and patient and suffering and all these things evoke questions that people want to know more So in other words, to to live for God, to be on mission for God, to be like these guys where you have Jesus alive in you, you don't need a megaphone, you just need to be weird. Some of you are like, you got a big head start on the rest of us. Like seriously, you just got to be weird, you just got to be willing to live in a way that's sort of not normal. You don't have to be annoying, but weird's good. That's what Romans 12, 2 is saying. Don't copy the behavior of the world, but let God transform you to be like a new person. This is our call. In other words, is anybody odd for God? (laughs) I mean, we just need some people who are willing to stand out a little bit. Turn heads. Historian Rodney Stark tells about the rise of the early church not too long after the time of Jesus. The church exploded in the second century. Like 40% growth every 10 years for 300 years. Why? What happened? Well, they lived questionable lives. 
They had astounding and amazingly consistent compassion. Jesus was so alive in them that they loved people in ways that people took notice of. When the plagues came, everybody else was scared and running for cover and locking their doors and hiding inside, except the Christians were out, nursing them back to health and burying others with dignity, loving people. Even, they didn't even care if they died. It was reckless. It was revolutionary. It was amazing. When you know that death isn't the end, you're a dangerous person because there's something more important to you than just fitting in and being safe. And it's time for some of us to be odd for God like that. And the pagans by the hundreds of thousands changed a little fringe group religious sect following a man from Nazareth to the most dominant faith in the Western world. Are you living a questionable life? The, the problem is that most of us from the time we're six years old, we learn how to be normal, to fit in, to wear the same shoes, to sing the same songs, and to, to dress the same, and to tell the same jokes and everything. And nothing about our business-as-usual lives makes anyone want to ask any questions at all. If everything about you can easily be explained because you're an American middle-class person, you mow your lawn, you, you, know, you pay your bills, you pay your taxes, and all that stuff, you wave to your neighbors, you plant your flowers... You go on vacation, you drop a quarter in the thing at the Ronald McDonald house, great. Nothing about that is surprising. Guess what? Going to church once in a while is not startling anyone. Reading your devotional book in Chick-fil-A is not odd enough. Okay? No one's going to wonder, gosh, that's amazing. I got to learn more about that. But I have some buddies who give their time to prison ministry, and they go every week where no one wants to go. And they hang out and make friends. And they're changing lives. And you hear about that, you're like, That's, tell, what, why, how, how did you? What? My friends Tay and Larry have two kids of their own, perfectly good kids. And then they heard about these other four kids who didn't have any place and needed to be fostered. Four of them. They needed love and a place, and so Larry and Tay, they just opened their home. And you're like, what? Are you out of your mind? That's a questionable life. I have a friend who works on commission. He heard about our disaster relief trips to go help others in, after the hurricanes. Goes to his boss, and he says, I need a week off. His boss is like, that's ridiculous. You work on commission. You don't, you don't work. You don't get paid. That's too risky. He says, yeah, I know, but that guy down there doesn't have a house. I need a week off. Now, that's, that's different. When Bradley Monroe suddenly died a couple weeks ago, it was so hard and abrupt for all of us. And to see the family and the pain, his wife, his kids, his grandkids, my gosh. But when you watch that family, and the way they responded, and the deep faith that rose to the surface, the testing of their faith shone so beautifully, not in a sort of, we're just going to pretend this isn't real, but in a deep faith kind of way, watching Tamara, watching Marcus, walking, watching Julie and all of them, show what they believed to their core. The funeral service was a celebration service of a life that was well-lived, a man of God. And here's a picture of that. As they stood on the stage in the midst of their tears, singing their lungs out, praises to God. 10,000 reasons we have to praise the Lord. Friends, when you're in your lowest moment and you can still praise God, that's going to turn some heads like, what is going on here? When you have a peace that really passes all understanding. Christian people don't have perfect lives, but they have peace that's perfect in the midst of anything. And that kind of resilient faith, you can't fake. And people see it and they wonder, what is all that about? It's time to be odd for God. Are you living a questionable life? 
Over the next few weeks, I invite everyone back. Wherever you are on your journey with God, we're going to turn, figure out how to take some steps forward where you could live a distinct, not a blend-in, fit-in life, but a, a life that could surprise the world because the living Jesus is living through you. We're going to talk about five basic practices that can make out of ordinary people like us an army of difference makers. And a lot of the practices sound pretty easy, but when you get on purpose about them, man, they, they're pretty revolutionary. Like, we're going to, here they are. Bless. We're going to learn how to bless people. Like, just love them and bless them and do cool things. And in fact, we're going to bless together every week. We're going to give a blessing on someone. I'll tell you about one in a minute here. But we're going to talk about how you can just bless people better in your life every day. Like, who are you going to bless this week kind of thing? And eat. Ah, that we know how to do. You can eat like a revolutionary. You can eat in surprising ways. And then learn. Like, learn about Jesus. Learn from Jesus. Learn to be more like Jesus. Everyone, you know, you can do that. We'll help you. And then listen, like listen, do you ever wish you could listen for God's voice a little better? Is it learn to do that every day that helps you with the last one, to know how you're sent, to be on mission and to have a purpose in life that's bigger than just sucking air and taking up space, making some money until you die. That's what we're going to do over the next few weeks, and it's beautiful. And when God begins to do that, it opens up all these doors. You just begin to say, I want to bless people, and I'm going to eat with them, I'm going to learn how to be more like Jesus and listen for what God's saying to do as I'm sent. My friend Philip from Mountain here, he's an awesome buddy of mine. He, he gets this. I'd like you to watch the screen as a little bit of his story. Watch the screen. We're on a road trip, buddy. So we had to come up with a, you know, a, a alias. So when I first met him, he, he reminded me of Ringo Starr from the Beatles. So I named him Ringo. And then he gave himself the name Barcelona because he liked the soccer team. You guys spent a lot of time together. We spent every day together. Yeah. You guys <laughs> yeah. became friends. We came, we became very good friends. I told you I went to his sister's wedding, but I never met his sister the whole time. <laughs> One of those cultural deals. Exactly. Later on, it turned out that Flip is... Uh, is even better than a friend, but not a friend to just say something. So he's like a, he's like a brother, more than a brother. Among Afghan people, I've never seen a guy like him, because uh, um, so he he is a real God lover. Yeah, he is. real God lover, and uh, he does everything for the sake of God. The reason I'm here is uh, when I realized that they would they might kill me. So in 2014, the, uh, the U.S. government recognized the hardship they had placed on these people. So they had opened up this program called the Special Immigrant Visa Program. And it was only open for Afghan and Iraqi interpreters. Ringo got in touch with me in 2014. He and I started his packet. And uh, for four years, we worked that packet to try to get him approved to come over here. While he was waiting, you know, he, he and his family would have to stay in hiding. He gave me the, the, the thing which was required for the program. And none of the um, American people did it for any translator. Yeah. So he did me a big favor. So if he weren't, I wouldn't be in America. While he was waiting on this process to get approved, 
he had actually got, you know, the Taliban found him at, at one time, and they beat him and stabbed him and left him in the streets for dead. And, uh, I mean, it was just, you know, God saying a God blessing that he lived through that and survived it. The first night he got here, he called me, and Tammy and I drove down here to meet him. And uh, he was he was basically in a in a mood of despair. It's a gated community, and the only gated community he's ever used to seeing is a is a prison. You know, so he he actually thought he was coming into a prison. The organization that relocates him basically said, "You have 30 days to get on your own two feet." And so, for the last 30 days, I've tried to help him just make him realize this is a blessing and not a nightmare for him because right now he's, it's been totally you know scary for him and his family so since he's been here he's applied for a social security card for him and his family he's also studying studying these uh the for the the license he he can drive he just got to learn the american laws and pass the test for his driver's license so he's been working on that for the last 30 days as well as trying to find a job you know that he could get to right now the hard part of getting a job is if he gets a job he has no way to get there it's car based <laughs> it is car based. It's mobile. Life in the U.S. is car based. Um, and you said you have a car seat for yes. him now. Yeah, we got a car seat. So he uses the stroller as a shopping cart. There go. Very good. And after I get my license, I hope to get a car. Uh, yeah, yeah, I can also, uh, you know, see my surrounding because mm -hmm. I've been here. It's been about a month we are here, but I've not seen any places. My, myself, no, because my family, whenever we call Afghanistan, they say, okay, how is America? It's good. I don't know. What is it? We need to get a table. Put the mm -hmm. kitchen next. Ask her if she wants a table for that. I'll bring it tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> and if you if, if you could all come out, that would be great. Uh, I want to show you something up there. Now I know you're you're going to be out. You're going to be looking for a job. You 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 here in America. You have to have people. They have to like you, right? So here here's here's the deal. You need to wear this jersey everywhere you go, and everyone in America will love you. Yeah, I won't get killed. <laughs> you might. You might get beat up, but you won't get killed. So you need to really wear that downtown Washington, D.C. Okay. Come. So, um, what's the word for key in Dari? Kelita. 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 So, this is Kelita? Kelita? Kelita. Okay. How would I say uh, this is your key in Dari? In in Kalida Shomo Ast. In Kalida Shomo Shomo Ast. In Kalid Shomo Ast. In Kalid Shomo Ast. This is your key because this this is your car. This is my car. This is your car. Can't believe it. Sure. Yes. Uh, yes. So the people of Mountain and some friends there have provided. God has provided this car, so that all the things we talked about for you to move about, to um, get a job, to take your family.
but we want you to have it. And you know how to put the car seat in the back seat. <laughs> Thank you. I can't believe it. Uh, my words can't describe it. For the car, for everything. And I uh, I really owe you guys. Thank you. No, yeah. No, you don't know. My family and I, I hope to, I just, again, I hope to compensate by day, one day. Yeah. And uh, you compensate by, by seeing the plans come together, by just following the lead that the, the Lord keeps opening his doors and uh, you'll, you'll get that job and you'll, you'll just keep moving forward and we're just happy to see it. All right. So it's a work in progress. Philip is surprising the world. And I love how it didn't matter to Philip that Ringo was a different skin color or ethnicity or religion or language or color. It didn't matter. He just loved them. And everything you see in that apartment is just the mountain people been loving on them. Just they're bringing stuff and they're buying trikes and bringing stuff. And he just can't figure it out. It's like, what? what's with these people? Now a car just one step on the way. And we ate and we're blessing and who knows, we'll leave it in God's hands. But you know, Philip isn't doing anything that every Christian isn't called to do. Every Christian is called to do exactly what Philip's doing. What, who are you surprising? Is there anything about your life that is causing anyone to take notice in a curious way that would draw them toward the goodness of God? Is the living Jesus alive in you? So over the next few weeks, we'll dive into that. Surprise the world. Let's pray. God, we thank you for sending your son and overcoming death and giving us hope. Forgive us for failing to be surprised by that and for living our lives as if he's as good as dead. We welcome Jesus. We invite him. We welcome him. Let his heart burn within our own hearts so that we might live questionable lives that draw people to you. We pray in Jesus' name and all of God's people said, amen.